Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. I am John Schmelk, joined by Lance Meadow for today's show. The phone number is 973-960-6... I'm sorry, 973-667-1960. See, we're still That's in the transition period That's what happens when we change here. the number. Exactly. <laughs> that one more time, 973-667-1960. Uh, you can give us a call there. Already have a caller on hold. Again, we only have one line, folks, so if you call and the line's busy... Uh, just keep calling back, and as soon as the line opens up, we'll uh, make sure we get you in. Uh, since I'm hosting, we can screen calls, so the first thing you'll hear is when you come on the air, and we'll just welcome you, give us your name, where you're calling from. You can also send in your questions to hashtag GiantsChat, and I just tweeted it out. Go to my Twitter page. There's a link there uh, for where you can submit questions via our online portal. Lance, good to hear from you. How are you, pal? I'm doing very well. It's good to hear from you as well. I think this is the first show that you and I have done in quite some time. Well, solo. I mean, in terms Correct. of just the solo. Tools. That's right. Correct. Yes, I should preface it that way. We've had Detino hanging around and bugging us. So this is the first time that it's just you and I together. Well, Correct. frankly, I, I, I like spending as little one-on-one time with you as possible. So, that, you know, I think it's most a bonus. people would echo those sentiments. Okay. Um, back to some serious stuff for a moment. Uh, the Giants did issue... Um, a statement yesterday regarding um, everything that's going on around the country with uh, the protests and um, everything. So uh, I'm going to read the statement and uh, we'll kind of go from there. So again, you can find the statement on the Giants.com homepage, also on the Giants Twitter feed. George Floyd's senseless death is the type of tragedy we have seen too often for far too long. Over the past week, our players and coaches have talked about the hurt, the pain, the frustration, and the anger. Each of us is feeling some or all of that. We continue to talk about what we can do to help unite and heal, and more importantly, create real opportunity and meaningful change. We have a responsibility as citizens to work in a constructive way. What we do to make a difference is what is most important. We have the ability to advocate for social justice and sustain change. We know, what, we know that to make lasting change, it needs to start at the community level. That is why we are committed to continuing to strengthen the alliances we have with groups like the Vera Institute of Justice, the Newark Bronze Shields, the Bronx Defenders, John Jay College of Criminal Justice, RISE, and our local law enforcement agencies to understand and support each, each group's good work. We will continue to expand our relationships where we can have a meaningful, positive impact and make a difference. Well, I'm, I'm very proud and happy to read that statement. Uh, I know I can speak for myself and Lance uh, that it, I think, adds our sentiments uh, pretty perfectly, and, and we agree with it a wholeheartedly, 100%, and uh, I think we'll just kind of let that stand right there, Lance. Absolutely, and I think that it was important for the Giants also to note in that statement the work that they've already established, John, within the local community. You know, the one thing that I don't think gets enough attention even during the course of the regular season is, you know, how the community relations department each and every week has been holding events with the players heavily involved and impacting every aspect of the local community. They've pretty much had a very strong presence on that front for many, many years within the Giants organization. Yeah, and last year Michael Thomas worked a lot with yeah. them um, in that regard. Um, he has a, a big uh, whole mouth and, and, and a role and a hand in, in trying to achieve social justice. So, again, we'll, we'll let that statement stand. We're obviously you know 100% behind it, and uh, we're very proud and happy to read it. Uh, to start today's program on Big Blue Kickoff Live. So let's get to the football stuff here, Lance. So um, 
the what we want to talk about first is that we have some clarity, and we've kind of talked about this in passing before, that it, this is kind of what was going to make sense, but it wasn't a quote-unquote official or reported to be official until now. And the many reports out there, I have not seen an official press release from the NFL, but uh, I don't know if you have, but multiple reports out there basically saying that the NFL has told their teams that training camps must be held at the team's home facilities unless because of state regulations it's impossible and then they can figure out a different deal. But right now, no states, I think, have any rules that would disallow it. And number two, uh, there will be no joint practices with other teams, which is something we talked about, I think, last Friday very briefly, Lance, on our show with Paul, or last Thursday, that that would simply be a risk factor with teams exposing themselves to another team, which obviously you want to limit as much as possible. Well, plus you'd also be exposing yourself to more travel as well. And I know most of the time you play against a team in a joint practice that you probably have a preseason game the uh, next few days following the practices. No, you're right, so, though, but it, it's still extra days in a hotel and all that stuff, exactly. which adds risk. So to me, it's really an unnecessary move. I don't think this is a stunning or surprising development. I don't think anybody who is invested in the NFL in any capacity should be surprised by this. To your point, we have heard whispers. This really pretty much made it official. Now, I haven't seen the NFL issue a statement, but I have seen the memo that the NFL has circulated to teams because a number of the national writers have put that up on social media platforms, and it pretty much expresses exactly what you laid out. And I think the next step, at least from the NFL standpoint, is to perhaps provide an official calendar, as official as it can be at this point, to dictate when training camp is going to start and what the game plan is going to be. But, John, it's important to note, as you well know, everything that's laid out now is subject to change based on the fluidity of the country. But I think the next goal is to say, hey, not only do teams have to stay at their facilities, but this is the timeline of the calendar that they're looking at in terms of allowing the players back into the facility. Right, and to that point, Adam Schefter this morning, or maybe it was late last night, um, reported that multiple people expect that the next time NFL players show up at teams' training facilities will be for training camp whenever that begins per sources. So I know there were some rumors going around the last couple of weeks that teams might try to do some type of veteran mandatory minicamp, even if it's not all the players, some of the players. Again, this is just according to Adam Schefter, no official announcement, but that does not appear to be in the books. Yeah, and once again, I think that that's something that is really unnecessary at this point. I know every team is going to try to make an effort or at least the league will to get some on-field work in perhaps before the start of training camp. But I go back, John, to the statement that Joe Judge said when he spoke to the media a few weeks ago, and I think he laid it out perfectly where he said, listen, at this point, I wouldn't be comfortable putting my own kid on an airplane and asking that child to fly cross-country for an event. Why would I ask one of my own players who lives in California, let's just use that as a hypothetical, to get on an airplane right now, fly cross-country to come back to the North Jersey region so that they can hold a workout? It just once again, I think... It's best to wait a few weeks. Hopefully there will be much more progress made by the time late July comes across our calendars. And then it would make sense to bring in the players little by little to orchestrate groups within the building. Absolutely. So when that's going to be, is the NFL going to dictate 
the same date for all the teams? Will some teams still be able to open up earlier? Will there be a Hall of Fame game? Will those teams open up earlier? You know, how many preseason games are going to be? All these things we don't have answers to right now, Lance. Well, normally, and you're right, we have no specifications based on that, but I think when you look at what's been done previously, John, normally the Hall of Fame game, they then go backwards from the start date of the Hall of Fame game to determine when they're going to let those two teams start training Mm -hmm. camp, and then it will follow suit based on when your first preseason game is. So if there is a tweak or a change to the preseason calendar, could that impact when we start training camp? Absolutely. But I think the Giants... And every other team, they're probably operating as it stands right now, John. That of course. They'll look at when their first preseason game is, and then it's backdated based on that first preseason game. Yeah, no question about it. And that's how they'll operate. And again, they'll adjust as they see fit. I got to imagine they're not going to want to try to make these changes, lands too close to when teams can start reporting, which I believe is somewhere around the, the, the 20th or the, or the 23rd, somewhere in that area. I think it's the 23rd, if I'm not mistaken. Um, because remember, there's an extended now part prior to camp where you can bring the younger players in for a few days before the rest of the team shows up. Then you have the ramp-up period with the new CBA, which is something different, too, where you have a few more days without practices when the guys first show up. So combined with the CBA and the pandemic, it's going to be very, very different the way things operate this year. So we'll have to wait and see how it goes. Yeah. Listen, everybody is adjusting to change right now. I think if you took a poll of all the NFL general managers, owners, they would say, listen, we're entering territory we never thought we'd have to enter. And they've gotten through it so far very smoothly in terms of the draft, number one. Then we went through the virtual offseason program, which, you know, at least people haven't been vocal in saying that they can't get what they needed done. And now the next stage is to progress towards on-field work in training camp. So, you know, for what every team had to go through, for what the league had to go through, I just personally think it's been quite impressive. I go back to the draft, and if you would have told, John, most people that the draft would have went off like that, where there really wasn't many interruptions that I could recall, the picks got in smoothly, teams were able to interact and coordinate with their picks, as well as signing undrafted free agents, you know, all things considered, that to me is a hell of an accomplishment given the current circumstances of the country. Yeah, no question about it. No question about it. All right, now let's get to our Giants topic for the day. Uh, we won't go too long. We've already gone about 10 minutes. So uh, this was a question on our Factor Fiction that got posted last Friday, Lance. Uh, people can go check it out on the Giants homepage. And the question was simple. What was the most underrated addition? Now, now so that can be a draft pick or a free agent. Addition to the Giants this offseason. Now, the word the, the term underrated is always tricky. Because rated by whom? Uh, you know what I mean? So it's hard to judge who's rated and underrated. Uh, I would assume we would just eliminate from the equation like Andrew Thomas and Xavier McKinney and James Bradbury. And you can kind of take those guys and throw them out because they're so, you know, well thought of and people like those a lot that I think those are kind of discounted in that conversation, right? Is that fair? Yeah, if you have some name notoriety or you are a high pick or you have a very strong track record of production, John, I think by default you get eliminated. So, you know, to me, I view underrated. It doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that is not necessarily a name. It's more of what you do for a team, John, 
I could argue may not be as appreciated enough, or perhaps I'll word it, you don't jump off the page statistically every game. You do a lot of the small things. You contribute in the film room. You're a locker room presence. I got those you. types of things. Now, this is my question, because when I got the fact or fiction question, I thought for a moment, I'm like, all right, would Blake Martinez count in this conversation? Now, he's a name. He started a long time. He has a lot of tackles. But a lot of people at the time did not like the signing. So would you consider that to be something that could be underrated given, you know, maybe the stuff he brings to the field that isn't maybe apparent to some people? I think you could certainly make a case for Blake Martinez, but I would say he's borderline underrated. He would certainly not be the first one that I would turn to. but. If you spin it the way that you just laid it out, John, I think you could certainly make a substantive argument there. But I agree. He's a big money signing, so let's push him aside, Lance. Uh, so let, let's go with yours first. Who do you think the most underrated addition was this offseason? Well, the one that I went with in the article was Nate Ebner because I took into consideration Michael Thomas, who you brought up earlier. They lose him in free agency. He's now with the Houston Texans. And special teams has been a very consistent and strong unit of the team, at least at each of the last two seasons. So Ebner, to me, is somebody that could fill that void left behind by Michael Thomas. He knows Joe Judge, so there's that familiarity. And a lot of the things he does do not necessarily show up in the box score. But if you go based on his New England track record, he's blocked punts. He's made an impact in terms of coverage. He's helped in the return game, and I think he certainly could be a candidate for perhaps special teams captain. So when you look at it from all of those angles, that's why I went with Nate Ebner. No, look, I think that's fair. Um, I agree with that. I think that's a good point. People don't talk about it. He will certainly impact special teams. You know, some people wonder about what the impact of special teams are. So uh, I, I'm totally with you. I think that's a good selection. Um, I know Dan picked Kyler Fackrell, which was a guy that I was considering. He wasn't my final choice. But I think that makes sense, too. He's a name that not a lot of, not a lot of people know, despite the fact he had double-digit sacks a couple years ago. And as of right now, with Marcus Golden still unsigned, Lance, he's going to be one of your starting pass rushers here. So that's a name that's going to be important for the Giants to be productive this year if they want to get a consistent upfront pressure on the quarterback to help out what's still a very, very young secondary outside of James Bradbury. Yeah, Fackrell has a golden opportunity to make an impact. To your point, he's the only one on the roster that has had a double-digit sack season. Nobody else has. So if you want to go maybe proven commodity, he's probably the closest to that. And the fact that he's no longer surrounded by Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, which I would argue probably took away some reps and opportunities from him last season in Green Bay, You know, there is now a golden, attractive opportunity for him to step in and get back to that 2018 form. So, you know, for people that don't look at individual seasons and get caught up in the career numbers, I think based on that, he certainly falls under the radar. The guy I went with ultimately, Lance, is Darnay Holmes. He's a guy that's a third-day draft pick, so he's not a you know he's not a first-round pick, second-round pick, third-round pick. You know, he's a third-day draft pick. He's a fourth-round pick. You know, he's only 5'9", and the reason I think he qualifies here is that, you know, people, maybe not everybody, too many people, more of the traditional football fans think you need two starting cornerbacks, right? You need three starting cornerbacks now. You might need four caliber starting cornerbacks in today's NFL. And right now, the only proven cornerback the Giants have is James Bradbury. The other side, outside, they have some choices. 
you know, we'll see about DeAndre Baker. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with him. Uh, you have Sam Beals played outside. Corey Ballantyne's played outside. They have guys that have played the outside position. The issue that I have is that that nickel slot position, which is such an important position in the NFL, and I'll get more into that in a second, you know, they don't have anybody other than Grant Haley with extensive experience in the pros playing that spot. And Haley, in the two years he's done it, has not secured that starting spot. He'll have a chance to compete for it again this year, but he hasn't secured it based on his play in his first two years. So the Giants really, really, really need to find somebody to be that nickel cornerback. And Darnay Holmes has the ability to do it. Now, can he clean up some of the stuff in college that, you know, dropped him to round number four? Absolutely. But traditionally, you can find smaller nickel corners later in the draft. So if Darnay Holmes can clean up those issues and play well and be that third starting cornerback inside, that to me could be the most underrated addition of all this offseason. Well, he's certainly underrated in terms of also where he was selected because, you know, probably if anybody gets the notoriety, it's the much higher picks. And I agree with you. You absolutely need three corners. We may even be entering territory, John, depending on how teams formulate their offenses where you, know, you need four or five corners, I would say, because even the guys that don't start to me are so important because you're probably going to rotate them in at some point anyway or at least extend it into having an additional safety, and Lance, maybe a third safety. And eventually someone gets hurt. Yeah, you know absolutely. Eventually someone gets hurt. Well, what I was going to bring up once you went off on the fact that you need a third corner is Giants fans know this firsthand, and all they have to do, John, is go back to that 2016 wildcard game, right, between the Giants and Packers. DRC. What, there we go, right? What mm -hmm. happened in that game? DRC gets hurt, and the minute he went out, Aaron Rodgers said, thank you very much. We will be <laughs> testing the rest of the secondary. And I believe, what, it was maybe Trevin Wade that had opportunities after him, I oh, want to wow, say. Oh, wow, that is a blast. Trevin Wade, good yeah. name to pull out of the bag, lads. Very well, good. I have been holding on to this example for so long. <laughs> I have done studies and research on that one opportunity. Trevin I said, Wade. When I pull it back out, we're going to have to be specific. So I always bring that up. Leon Hall, I believe, was also yep. on that 2016 team. Mm -hmm. He was another guy that may have come in and filled in a little bit for DRC. So the point is, Giants fans saw when you don't have that third reliable option, any wise, veteran, polished quarterback in today's league is going to hone in on specifically that replacement player and is going to go after them. So that's yeah. why I wholeheartedly agree with you where you need to find that reliable option, especially in a position that is going to be asked to maybe blitz in Patrick Graham's defense, is going to be asked to go one-on-one, -on -one, mano a mano with a wide receiver. Oh, they yeah. have to right take on a running back out of the backfield. We're talking about a multifaceted, versatile player. And when you name some of the other options, you know, Julian Love, I think, showed flashes, but we still don't know what type of role he's going to take on, John, in this defense. Yep. Darnay Holmes is yet to play one NFL snap. And then if they explore and experiment with perhaps a Grant Haley who's been in and out of the lineup or somebody else, once again, it's fair to say I don't think the Giants have that one guy at the slot nickel position that they feel comfortably throwing out there for every single snap at that spot. So to me, absolutely, anyone who plays the slot cornerback position is synonymous with the term underrated. Yeah, and Corey Ballantyne, they tried him last year in that spot. Late in the year, he had never played it before. He struggled. Um, playing that spot. And really, what teams do now, Lance, they will put 
their best receiver in that inside spot because a lot of times, even some of these teams' best cornerbacks, they don't like going inside. It's a different position. Yep. You know, you don't have the sideline there to help you. Wide receivers or slot receivers, in, in this case, have a two-way go. You can go inside or outside. A lot of times, you don't have a ton of help. It's a much different animal than playing outside. And to, to your point with, you know, picking on the backup and the weak link, you know, PFF, Pro Football Focus, I know people don't like them, but they did a really interesting um, analytical study on defenses, and they found that for a defense to be good, and let me make sure I'm enunciating this right, Lance, and I'm not confusing you. For a defense to be good, it's more important to have fewer holes than to have a few really good players. Which to that the, makes sense. The point being, it's more important not to have bad players on the field than to have great players on the field. Because the way offenses operate to the point that you made earlier is they will target that weak spot. You could have a great safety, two great corners, you know, a good pass rusher. If you have one guy out there that can't cover anybody, you know what they're going to do? They are just going to attack the you-know-what out of that guy every single play. So the key is to not have anybody out there that can be targeted and is considered a quote-unquote weakness. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. That, I think, is important. when, And that's why I think it's so hard for defenses to sustain greatness, lands from year to year. Because you lose you know, a couple players off that defense, even if they're your eighth and ninth best players on the day, if you're not replacing them with similar players then those two new guys are weak links that other teams can exploit, all of a sudden the impact of the great players on that defense is reduced because teams just aren't going near them because they have other guys that they're attacking. Well, that also goes to show you why I know we use the term depth constantly and it becomes sort of a cliche term, John, but this is why developing the players that play behind your starters are so important. Bingo. Because to your point, John, the turnover rate in the NFL is unlike anything else. It's highly unlikely you're going to keep your core together for three or four straight years. You just can't. You have to make sacrifices in the salary cap era. So that means that when you lose your starter, you want to feel good enough that the fifth cornerback could then step into one of those three starting jobs. The Sixth linebacker may be able to come in and take on more snaps. The fifth defensive lineman, who is a rotational guy, can now step in and be a starter. That's why when we talk about the draft and building a team through the draft, it's so important because, John, it's not about finding the guy in the draft that's going to come in year one and all of a sudden wow you. It's about year two when he's ready for his sophomore campaign and you lose the top-tier guy in front of him, can he come in and fill that void? And I want to give you an example, which I think spells out the perfect point you made. You look at the Chargers. The Chargers right now, going into this season, they've got Casey Hayward. They have Chris Harris Jr., who they just signed from the Broncos in free agency. Okay, those are their two outside guys. But then they've got Desmond King, John, who is their outside guy slash interior guy who uses the nickel slot. He's a good player. So, yeah, so there you have – you've got a team. They can use those guys. They can be interchangeable, but they feel good. We put all three of those guys on the field at the same time. We don't feel we're giving a gift to the opposition. And one other thing I want to add on to this conversation, which I think further spells out the point you brought up, and not to get completely off topic, but, John, if you remember, we had tons of debates before the draft. Isaiah Simmons versus an offensive lineman, right? Yeah. And a big part of the debate was, would Isaiah Simmons, as good as he is, 
single-handedly resurrect this defense or would an offensive lineman given the impact that the offensive lineman would but I want to focus more on Simmons here Isaiah Simmons no disrespect to him as great of a player he is you can't tell me that he would be able to single-handedly fill all the voids on the Giants' defense. It was going to take more than one draft pick high to fix the Giants' defense, and that's what I think also spells out what we're talking about. Do you bring in the one star and you think that all of a sudden he's going to cover up all your issues, or do you focus more on not only do we have to bring in the one impactful player, but we have to make sure that we've got the slot job taken care of, the fourth linebacker taken care of, the fifth safety taken care of. And that, to me, was more of an approach by what the Giants did this offseason in terms of the draft and free agency, which I think a lot of teams are starting to realize you can't spend all your money with one star. J.J. Watt, I guess, is another example. He's not going to be able to cover up all the other shortcomings for the Houston Texans defense. No, I mean, just look at the Texans' defense against the, the Chiefs in the second yeah. half of that game. I mean, look, teams can find weaknesses, and I think, you know, that's why defenses, again, are so hard to keep together, and you want to look at how the Giants got to where they are. You know, the early part of Jerry Reese's tenure, he did a really nice job drafting. You know, he drafted some guys well, you know, high that were good. Some of them got hurt with some bad luck. But then if you look at the middle rounds, lands from 2012 to, like, 2016, and— None of those guys really ended up developing into contributors to replace the veterans that retired or moved on for bigger contracts elsewhere. And that's kind of, you know, how the Giants have gotten into the hole that they're in. So, um, you know, bad luck's involved in that too, certainly. But you need those guys to develop depths to continue to replace players um, that happen to lose, to leave and, and just to build your roster, you know? Well, I'll give you another example, which actually focuses on a position that we were talking about earlier too. San Francisco, to me, is another great example, John, of how you balance the salary cap and the draft. And what have the Niners done? Well, they put together a really strong defensive line, John, if you recall, because they used one first-round pick after another for five of the last six years yep. on a defensive lineman. And a Armstead, lot of people said, Buckner, go down the list. All those guys, Bosa. right? Bosa. Yep. Yeah, so a lot of individuals said, well, isn't it just going to become too repetitious? You're not addressing other needs. But now you're starting to see why the Niners did what they did. They lost to Forrest Buckner, who you brought up. They traded him to the Colts because they realized this offseason they can't sign Buckner and they can't sign Eric Armstead too much money. So they signed Armstead. They traded Buckner. But by trading Buckner, they got a first-round pick back from the Colts. And what did they do with that first-round pick, John? They drafted Javon Kinlaw out of South Carolina this draft. So now you have Kinlaw come in, replaces Buckner, he's on a rookie contract, and you're not now utilizing as much cap space on that position. You now use that money to go out and address other areas of need. So that, to me, is the ideal way of building a team in the NFL, where as guys leave in free agency, you've already groomed the players behind them, just like Nick Bosa now, Nick Bosa was a high pick, but Nick Bosa now is still on a rookie contract. And there's going to be a point where they're going to have to decide, is Bosa worth the money or do we have to move on from Bosa? And this is where you start grooming the next player. So when that Giants defensive line, John, to your point, you, know, you started losing players in free agency, such as Linville Joseph, or you had to lose players because you didn't know if they were worth the money. The goal is through the draft. All right, now you got to find a new yeah. cluster of mm -hmm. players to develop 
so that on rookie contracts, they're ready to step in. And that was an issue for the Giants at times. Yeah, it doesn't have to be the first year. It could be no, two years down the road. That's fine. That's why if you draft behind somebody or over somebody, that's okay. And the Vikings land's a perfect example, right? They had to trade Stephon Diggs because of salary cap issues. They draft Justin Jefferson. They have to let Xavier Rhodes go because of salary cap issues. They draft Jeff Gladney. So, again, those are first-round picks. It's not a long-term development deal, but it's just a way of teams continue to kind of re-up their talent. All right, let's get to the phones. 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. Again, folks, if you're getting a busy signal, we only have one line available to us, so just keep trying to call in, and the first thing you will be saying and hearing is us bringing you on the air and welcoming you to Big Blue Kickoff Live. And just to remind you, you can also send in your questions to hashtag Giants Chat or either to at Schmelk or at Lance Meadow, all one word, M-E-D-O-W. Or you can send them into Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions, and we will get to those over the course of the program as well. All right, let's go to our first caller. Caller, you're on the air with Lance and John. What's your name? Where are you calling from? What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, my name is Rick. I'm calling from Houston, Texas. Rick, what's on your mind today, pal? Welcome to the show. Thanks for calling. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I was listening to the, you guys talk about the defense. Um, I was uh, my call was initially about Patrick Graham. Um, so here's my thing. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of optimism about what this defense could be. We made some moves in free agency, but uh, to me, I'm just like you know, based on track record and what you're looking at. I know the Dolphins didn't have a lot of talent over there. Um, he came from Green Bay. I don't think Green Bay's like you know, been one of the top defenses in the league over the years. You know, uh, they've always been kind of mediocre. So I'm, I just don't know what to expect from Patrick Graham. You know, we just came from James Betcher, which was a brand-new system, at 3-4, which it seems kind of similar to me. They want to create havoc and, you know, have moving people around and being versatile and creating pressure. It kind of seems like the, kind of the same defense. And I'm just looking for something to get – so positive I can hang on to give me some optimism that the defense is going to be better. No, Rick, you know? I, Rick, Rick, right Rick, now, I, it's not looking. No, Rick, look, I, I, I think you ask a great question. And I think in some ways, yeah, it, it is similar. They want to bring pressure. They want to bring extra guys. You know, Betcher wanted to play man-to-man. And, you know, he just couldn't as much because they didn't have the personnel to do it. And Patrick Graham certainly wants to play man-to-man. Um, and I agree. I think we have to wait and see exactly what Graham's defense looks like. I think we have an idea. Um, I can tell you, and if you remember, I'm not sure, you know, if you were listening during the regular season last year, but, you know, heading into that Dolphins game, when we talked about the Dolphins, to your point, they did not have a lot of talent, right? They trade away a lot of their veterans. They did not have a lot of big names on their defense. So their rankings and their numbers were bad. But watching the film of that Dolphins defense that week heading into the Giants game, I continuously made the point on the show, and I'm sure, Lance, you remember, that they didn't have a lot of blown coverages, mistakes. Their guys might get beat, but they played their technique properly. They were where they were supposed to be. So, you know, what we've right. seen the last few years, Rick, and, and I, you can certainly attest to this, too many times where, you know, guys are looking at each other, oh, weren't you supposed to be there? Who was supposed to be there? You know, and guys are making mistakes. Even though the yeah. results weren't great for Miami last year, watching them on tape heading into the Giants game against them late in the year, I did not see those sorts of things on tape. So that, I think, is something that you can be a little bit optimistic about. Yeah, I think it was a defense that really played hard each and every week. And all you have to do is just go back to the results from their 2019 schedule. And remember, if memory serves me correct, John, the week that they played the Giants, 
Patrick Graham was incorporating at least three or four new cornerbacks because he had lost at least three or four over the last two games. So they were bringing guys off the practice squad in the street. And Lance, by the way, every single one of their players that played in the secondary against the Giants, except for one, were undrafted free agents. Yeah. Because of all the injuries oh, that they had suffered with. And yep. remember, you know, they also traded away Minka Fitzpatrick to the Steelers. And and the cornerback they traded away too earlier in the yeah. year. I can't remember his name. No, uh, the uh, the safety, Rashad Jones, right? They traded earlier in the Rashad year? I think Rashad Jones was hurt. Oh, was I think he that hurt? was the okay. biggest issue with Maybe Jones. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, Jones right. was hurt. But Fitzpatrick was traded away very early to the Steelers. So he was losing personnel left and right because of injuries or acquisitions or transactions, and as a result, a lot of movable parts. Now, what it means for the Giants, listen, as John mentioned, Rick, I mean, it is a little bit of the land of the unknown because it's a new scheme and there's going to be a lot of personnel. So, you know, like anything else, I think expectations need to be placed in check because you have youth, first of all, so you're still developing a bulk of the defensive players. And on top of that, they're learning a new defense for the second time in as many years. For some of these guys, it's the third time in as many years, especially if they came from college. So, you know, that's a lot to throw on the plate of a relatively young defense. I, though, would not put so much stock and substance, Rick, into what went on with Green Bay because Patrick Graham was there for one year in 2018. Keep in mind, it was not his defense. He was just a linebacker's coach and the run game coordinator. So it's still a very small sample size. I think, if anything... You look at New England because he was there for quite some time, and then you look at the scheme that he ran in Miami. Those, to me, maybe give us some indications on how he's going to utilize personnel, but he wasn't not really part of Green Bay long enough for him to have individually put his stamp on what they run as well as what they do from a philosophical standpoint. Got it. I mean, I hear you. Yeah, that all makes sense. Uh let me uh, throw another question at you guys. Sure. Uh, I was thinking about the, uh, you know, I was looking at that defense, and I actually really like the talent they've accumulated as far as the defensive line. I mean, they got some, some players there that really got potential. Uh, the safeties now with Peppers and McKinney, I really like both of those guys. Bradbury's a good corner. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Baker, but I'm sure there's another corner on that team that'll step in and, if Bradbury plays up to his level, uh, that other corner ought to be okay. Um, with that said, the only area that I was concerned with, you know, he's Blake Martinez inside the middle. I feel a lot better about that position. But the outside linebackers, which in this type of system, I, from what I gather, would the guy be the, guy, the main guys rushing the passer, you know. Um, yep. That seems like a big weakness to me with I mean, Fackwell, yeah, I know that they know him. They're familiar with him and everything. But the guy has only had one season where he had 10 sacks. And, you know, I know there's factors that go into everything. But as far as, like, you know, impact players, there's Fackwell, there's Carter, who, you know, we'll see how he does. I had high hopes for him when he came out in the draft um, with him being – you know, have my last name and all. I was hoping he emerge as a star and I'd be able to get his jersey and <laughs> be with the Giants for a while. But you know, we'll see. Um, you know, all these years, I, I, my last name's Carter, and every time we drafted a player named Carter, I I get excited. And I remember back to Tim Carter, and I was yep, the wide <laughs> so receiver. I'm, like, I'm gonna get his jersey, you know. But uh, anyway, yeah. But like I was saying, Fackwell, Carter, Zimenez. You know, all these guys are unproven. There's nobody, you know, I'm looking for one of these guys to step up and, you know, take the lead. But hopefully it happens. Um, there's no way to tell now. We just got to wait and see. But based on what we have seen from these guys, 
you know, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So my question is, they're waiting for, I guess, I'm not sure what the holdup is on re-signing Golden, but he definitely, to me, is better than any option we have on the team right now at the outside linebacker uh, as far as getting after the passer. So I'm just thinking, you know, what do you guys think impact this is going to have on, on, on that defense? It's like everybody else is doing their job, playing well, but these guys on the edge can't get can't get to the quarterback. Well, Rick, I, I think like, I, Rick, gonna... honestly, I think you hit it right on the head. And when you look at this defense, the big question to me is pass defense. And there's two parts of pass defense, right? You have the pass rush part of it, which is what you just hit. Who's going to be your consistent outside pass rusher? Um, I think Golden and Fackrell are, are similar. Um, I would like to have both on the team. That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, they, they don't have they don't have that one. You know, uh, to quote Jerry Jones, "War Daddy" out there that that's going to get right. you know twelve sacks in a season more likely than not. It, right. It's probably just not going to happen. So they need to figure that out. And then the other thing you mentioned too earlier in your call, who's covering people not named James Bradbury? Who are the other cornerbacks? Right. So if you have trouble rushing the passer from the perimeter and you have trouble covering outside of your one top cornerback, you're going to have trouble stopping people. So those, to me, exactly. are going to be the two pressure points. I think you hit it right on the head. Those are going to be the two pressure points of this defense that are going to determine how much better is it going to be. Who other than James Bradbury can cover and who's getting to the quarterback consistently on the pass rush? Lance, those are the two things right. that they have to figure out. Well, and you could be sure that the Giants' opponents are going to look to test the team in those two areas very early because if I'm an opposing offensive coordinator, I would be doing the same. Now, if you go to last season, you know, Golden was the one double-digit sack guy, and everybody else were complementary contributing factors. Can Fackrell get back to that double-digit sack total? That would certainly be something that would be welcome for the Giants. But if they don't have that double-digit guy, I think what's important to understand, this could be a season where it's going to be piecemeal, where if you're Patrick Graham, your game plan will be, first of all, leaning heavily, John, on your point with the secondary. Guys are going to have to cover this season. There's no doubt about it. There's no way to maneuver around it. Right. And that's safeties, right. that's cornerbacks, outside and inside. And, linebackers. and the linebackers, too, yeah. mm -hmm. are going to have to help in that department, too. Let's not dismiss that. But I think if you're Patrick Graham, as far as the pass rush is concerned, if you can get 10 or 11 guys to give you three to four sacks apiece, you'll be happy with that. Okay, you're not going to go into this season thinking we're going to have two 10-sack guys. If you get that, hey, that's great. But I don't think anybody looking at this yeah. Giants defense on paper is going to tell you that they're envisioning or imagining that absolutely it's a guarantee that two guys are going to walk away with 10 sacks Yeah, and season. Rick, I think he's going to blitz a lot too. So you're going to see some sacks out of the safeties. You're yeah. going to see some sacks out of the nickel cornerback. Yeah. You're going to see some sacks out of Blake Martinez. I think that's what you're going to see. Right, and that and if that works, that that's that's an excellent advantage actually. If it works, of course, because I mean, that keeps offenses guessing. Like, where's the pressure coming from? What guy's gonna get me? You know, if you can make it work, is the question. So we'll see. I appreciate you guys, man. I'll take it. Uh, listen to you off the air. Hey, Rick, great call. Don't be a stranger. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Rick in Houston, the great call. Excellent questions. And Lance, look, I think that's the deal. I mean, they're not gonna have that. 
that one big outside rusher that's, you know, going to be Khalil Mack or Von Miller or you stay in the division, Brandon Graham or Demarcus Lawrence or, you know, Ryan Kerrigan. You know, they don't have that one guy yet. The question is, and, you know, we talked about Golden and Fackrell, or, you know, I think we kind of know what those guys are. They've been in the league long enough. You hope, you know, both can get between five and ten sacks, you know, get in that area if you can, closer to ten, you hope. But can, and Rick brought up one name, Lorenzo Carter, can he finally turn into a more consistent pass rusher than the other guy, a second-year player, Oshin Zimenez, who, you know, came from a smaller college program in Old Dominion. You know, it's a Division 1A, but it's a smaller one from a smaller conference. And can he step up in year number two? And again, I'm not looking for 15, but can he give you seven? You know what I mean? Can these guys give you just a little bit more combined with the blitzing to get you around the middle of the league in terms of not just sacks, but things like pressures and hurries? Yeah, I think those two guys, I would agree with you. I would probably throw in Dexter Lawrence as the third one. And I know he was only a rookie last year, but Zimenez was too. Those three guys out of the front seven, those are the three that I think if you're the Giants, you're saying, okay, where is going to be their step up in their development this season? Are we going to get, for example, Lorenzo Carter you brought up? Well, he's been in that four and a half five sack territory for each of his two seasons, John. So you throw out the number seven. Okay, that would be a boost. Can Zimenez get to that six and a half, seven territory? Can Lawrence give you a few more sacks? Leonard Williams is another guy, John. Is this the year that, and once again, he's not a huge sack guy. So expectations have to be realistic. But can you get four sacks out of Leonard Williams? I'm just throwing out a number. And when you start to add up all of those numbers. Or maybe Dexter Lawrence can step up too and give yeah, you a Lawrence little Yeah, Lawrence is more, another guy yeah. who I brought in. Absolutely. So you get four out of Lawrence, four out of Leonard Williams in addition to the other two. This is when all of a sudden, John, hey, 40 sacks is not that much of a reach or you don't feel like you got to pull teeth to get there, which I think is a good barometer, that 40 to yeah. 42 total, which I think most teams aim for. And all you have to do is look at last season's team sack totals, not for the Giants, for the NFL average. In order to get to the middle of the pack, you need to be in that 42 target area. And the Giants have been under that for each of the last few seasons. So that's how you get the productivity up. It's, once again, getting back to the draft that we talked about, because we've had these conversations on the air multiple times, John, and everybody says, well, they want the 10-sack guy. They want two of them. Well, you're not going to be able to go out in free agency every single year and sign the 10-sack guy. Why? Because the 10-sack guy, A, gets the franchise tag, B, re-signs with his own team, an extremely lucrative deal. It's very rare that elite pass rushers get thrown out on the market. And if you want to say Jadeveon Clowney is an elite pass rusher where the jury is still out because of injuries, notice... He didn't get the deal. Why? Because there's question marks. So the guys that do get thrown out onto the market normally have red flags or question mark connected to them, John, which means teams don't want to invest a lot of salary cap space. So this gets back to the million-dollar question. How do you find those double-digit sack guys? You get them in the draft and you develop them. It goes back to my point about the Niners. The Niners drafted Nick Bosa, drafted Buckner, drafted Armstead. They didn't go out on a spending spree. Those guys eventually earned big paydays, yep. but they did it because they were acquired through the draft. That's what the Giants need to do. The way they do that is Zimenez, Lawrence, and Carter take a step up. Yeah, or they use their first-round pick on a pass rusher next year. Well, that's available. another route, too. So, of course. Yeah. Look, and, and, and that's kind of how you look at it. 
973-667-1960. Let's go to our next caller. Caller, you're on the air with John and Lance. What's up, man? Hey, John and Lance, how you doing? Len in Columbia. What's up, Len? What's hey, how you doing? doing today? Doing what? Um, uh, John, thank, thanks for reading that uh, you know statement that the Giants issued. Um, we certainly don't want to get into any political discussion, but I, I think it was necessary to make some sort of statement and uh, sh- showing their involvement in the local community, um, uh, etc. And you know, it makes it it makes it easier to root for a team when they're out there kind of taking a position I hear you. on on those issues. So I, I, I think it was a good move. Um, some people will be a little critical about how quickly they did it, uh, but hey, listen, you know, they did it, and um, it uh, you know it stands for it stands for what they stand for. Uh, Lance, um, you know, I agree with your uh, statement earlier uh, about how well the NFL has handled all of this and everything has gone very smoothly. Uh, I, I think you would have to agree, however, that we did have a lot of time to work through these things. I mean, Major League Baseball got caught two weeks before the season started. The NBA was, you know, two-thirds of the se- through the season so the fact that we had a little, you know, the fact that the NFL had a little time, I think, has helped them. Oh, yeah, you but, think? Of course. Well, absolutely. Yeah, of course they yeah, have. Yeah, well, but, had yeah. time in terms of preparation for the regular season, but hold off. You know, they didn't have an overwhelming amount of time to make those changes for the draft. That came within the span of about a yeah, month. Yeah, but, but, so, but, but you don't have to do the draft in person. You know, right, right. Major League Baseball can't play games on remote from their, from their houses. The, the NFL yeah. can do the draft that yeah. way. Yeah, you know no, I, mean? I do agree. I agree with what Lance said. I, they've handled everything very well, and, every, and they got a little lucky. Everything has gone smoothly. Yes. When I say lucky, I mean the technology during the draft and all the kinds of, the kinds of things you refer to. What's your Giants but, question, Len? Well, okay. Um, yeah, tying us into what, what you have just were talking about and Lance and Paul's discussion on Monday regarding what first-year players have to step up. Lance, I'm sure you remember that. Yeah. Um, you know, you got to start with Daniel. I, I mean, you guys were doing the over/under yesterday, John. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to throw, you know, 65 percent, 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, less than 15 interceptions. I mean, Daniel's got to step up. Um, I, I don't care if it's a new offense or not. I mean, if, if this team's getting to eight and eight and nine and seven, Daniel's Daniel's got to. Step up. He's got to give us those kinds of numbers. I'm just going to warn you about one thing, and I'm going to warn all Giant fans about this. And you guys are going to get tired of me saying it, and you're not going to like it, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's true. The first month of this season, the Giants play four of the best pass defenses in football last year. Daniel Jones is in a new offense with that, that he hasn't gotten off-season work in. We don't know how many preseason games are going to be, what kind of limitations in training camp they're going to be. It could be a slow start. Just mentally prepare yourself for that. That's all I'm saying. But, John, one playoff team in the first four. We got, we got the Steelers on the road with an injured quarterback. Yeah, 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 no, but, yeah, but, yeah but hold on. The Steelers, first of all, the only reason the Steelers didn't make the playoffs last year, and they only missed it by one game, by the yeah, way. Yeah, they were 8-8. Eight eight. It's because Roethlisberger was hurt, and he's back. The Niners were the best defense in football. Um, you look at the other teams— um, the Rams were, I believe, one game out of the postseason. Yeah, they last were nine year. and seven. They were nine and seven. So, Len, all four teams they play in that first month were were five hundred or better. 
So they're good football teams now, and they were all ranked in the top 10 defensively. And the Bears have one of the top defenses in football too. So I'm talking specifically about pass defense here. All those teams were ranked extremely high in pass defense last year. Okay. Let me, let me go on to a couple of other players that fits into what you just said, John. Sure. I'm not changing the subject. No, that's no problem. Um, We've got to find out if Caden Smith is for real. Is he a major league tight end? I'm not talking about a pro bowler. Is this guy a major league tight end? Is he a starter? Yeah. Is he a starter in this league that we can count on or going into the next draft that we have to start thinking about a tight end? That's fair. I agree. Um, Slayton, uh, 85 catches is one heck of a lot better than 50 catches. And I don't, I don't know what he made last year, but is this guy the number one? If he doesn't, If he doesn't step up this year... We're starting to look number one in the draft. I think that's Be fair too, because it's highly unlikely we're going to see Tate at his price for a third year. Who knows with uh, Sterling? Now, believe it or okay. not, Len, draft people actually say next year's wide receiver class is just as good as this one was. Yeah, okay, not, so. I'm just saying, yeah. but maybe we don't need to go there. Yeah, maybe. especially think first round. You know, where we where we need to get a number one. Maybe maybe we're looking at a. You know, a second one. If Slayton, if Slayton, that's that's a that's a big step up this year. That's a position I'm looking at. Or else, man, you know, we're we're back to square one at wide receiver. Um, I'm I'm going to cheat a little bit and go to a a a, a third year player, somebody going from second to third. But um, if Hernandez is plateaued, it's a big setback, John. I mean, this guy. He's got to step up. This is one of those young guys, uh, or else it's it's just it's. I mean, look what we were counting on from okay. Hernandez. I think Hernandez is a starting caliber player, but would you like to see another year of improvement from him? Yes, I think you would. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping. I'm hoping what we saw last year wasn't wasn't Hernandez. Okay. I mean, if uh, I mean you can't. I think Hernandez has got to step it up okay. on the defensive side. I think the key one you guys were talking about it today. I think Ballantyne is really important. This, this, I'm, I'm hoping this kid can grow, John. Well, Ballantyne and, and Beal, both of them. I, I don't trust Beal, John. Okay, that's fair. Two bad shoulders at 177 pounds. You better have a deep room. Um, who knows what's happening with Baker? I, I think Ballantyne is one of those guys. Like you know, you talked about earlier. If somebody gets hurt, if somebody gets hurt, you know, your fourth and fifth guy. Have got to be able to fill in, and I think we're going to see Ballantyne on the field, and I think it's going to be as a boundary corner. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't trust those guys to be able to get through the season. I like Bradbury for one one reason and one reason only: his size. Yeah, he's he's a big, big guy. He's a big guy. Yeah. I don't think you can play at 177 pounds like with two bad shoulders and count on the guy. Well, to they need multiple the options, no matter how you look at it. Because yeah. you're not going to have every single cornerback play 16 games. It just doesn't happen for most NFL teams. You're going to suffer injuries. So that's more of a reason why they need multiple options. And they need guys that can play on the inside and the outside. And they need safeties that they can move around to. Julian Love is another guy. You know, you need all of those versatile options because you're not going to get through an entire season with everybody playing 16 games. It's just impossible to have that mindset. Well, I, I, I hope Valentine steps up, Lance. Well, and, I, once again... And, we could sit here with the entire roster. Line. They need multiple guys to step up. There's no doubt about it. No, no, I'm just going back, to your Monday, I'm, I'm going back to your Monday conversation of 
first-year players, and I know I cheated a little bit with Hernandez, but with first-year players who we're looking to to step up this year, which kind of defines our future. I, I was just sticking with first to no, second. That's fair. I agree, Carter. You know, I, you know Jimenez, uh, X Man. I, I just don't have him on that. Li- I just don't have him on that list. I don't have him on that list. And, you, you, and uh, one more player, and then I'll get off the phone. You talked about Lawrence. Um, what do we have in Lawrence? I mean, Lawrence has got to give us sacks. He's got to give us sacks, yes. or else, or else next year he's playing nose tackle. I agree. I mean, a seventh, it's eighteenth pick in the draft. Whatever he was, seventeenth, eighteenth pick in the draft. Seventeenth, right? Seventeenth uh, yeah. pick in the draft on a nose tackle. Listen. No, he's got to get Lawrence, sacks. Lawrence has, Lawrence, Lawrence has got to come through. No? Hey, thanks for, taking, yeah. thanks for taking right, my call. Thanks, Lloyd. Good stuff. Yeah, two and a half sacks Lawrence had last season. And again, even if it's not sacks, he has to be a a factor pressuring the yeah. quarterback. Because we've talked sometimes that's out of a player's control, right? Of course. How, how many sacks they get. But he has to be somebody that's consistently affecting opposing quarterbacks. He, he, he had nine quarterback guy. hits. To put things further in perspective, so that's nine quarterback hits in sixteen games, John. No, he he look he had, he had a good rookie year, but can he take that next step now? Yeah. And the shame of it is, you know, a lot of times guys will take that big jump in year number two because they get that full off season in an NFL training room, so they get you know workout room, weight room, so they get that NFL body really squared away. You wonder. Not to say he's not working hard on his own. I'm sure he is, but it's not the same as training in the facility, Lance. You hope that is not going to maybe slow some of the progress of these young guys because you haven't had that full offseason, their full, full offseason in an NFL training facility. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. The other thing is with respect to, you know, last year you're preparing for the draft, which eats away a lot of the offseason, which yeah. is what you were laying out. And then this season, you figured, okay, this is going to be my first offseason where now I'll be under the supervision of the team, I'll be able to stay local, use the facility, and then all of a sudden you're dealing with a global pandemic. So Dexter Lawrence is not going to be able to experience what he hopes is a traditional NFL offseason until 2021. And that's already year three, and all of these guys are being constantly put under the microscope. So it's not just Lawrence. It's everybody that's being thrown in this boat. But once again, here's another player, though, John, as I brought up earlier. And this is not an excuse. This is just reality. Dexter Lawrence now is going to be learning his third defense in as many seasons. So in addition to working out and building the NFL body that you talked about, you're also testing him from a mental standpoint because you're now asking him to do things that he may have not been asked to do in James Betcher's defense or at least things that are completely different from what James Betcher's defense asked him. It's not, once again, saying that he can't handle that, but you at least need to be realistic to say you're throwing a lot of these young players into the grind of now digesting another defense and, oh, by the way, doing it in a virtual means. Let's go back to the phones, 973-667-1960. Cole, you're on the air with Lance and John. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Lance. Hey, John. It's Charlie. Lovely. Hi, Charlie. Always hey, the voice um, you want to hear. <laughs> Lance, I missed you, man. It's good to hear your voice. Well, I've only <laughs> talked to you, what, in the last week or two, because unfortunately you can't find other activities during the hours of noon to 1 p.m. Eastern. But what can we do for you today? Hey, well, look, you guys keep talking about we need a Batman. I don't think we do. If we just have two boy wonders, I think that's good. So, in other words, if we bring Golden back and he gets his 10 sacks and Crackle gets his 
Ken Sachs, you know, because oh he's in, <laughs> when he's in Graham's, you know. God forbid again. Charlie says a name. Hey, right, you know what, ahead. though? Here's the thing. I give him credit. Charlie at least did a good self-scout. He realized he had no shot at saying it right. Yeah. So he just went with something that he knew he could say. So Correct. it's fair. Well, first of all, <laughs> no, we, we didn't we didn't say once about Batman and Robin. And I brought up the point, Charlie, well, where I said, yeah, if you can get 10 guys who give you three or four sacks apiece, then you can get to that 40-sack total. So it's yeah. doable. Yeah, Charlie, I agree with Lance. I don't, at this point, I, I think you know you're not going to have that Batman, right? I mean, that guy's not going to be here. If he was here, we'd yeah. know it, I think. So I think you're right. At this point, you hope you have your two starting outside backers that'll get you right. somewhere from 8 to 10, and then the rest of the guys fill in the gaps. Exactly. So if, if you, you know, if those two guys, Golden and uh, Frackle, or whatever the name is, Fackrell. can get, okay, Frackle. No, Fackrell. The, there isn't any R after the first F. Let's try it again. <laughs> it, hey, it's like Fackrell. It's like Fackrell. Yeah. Fact, fact, roll. There yeah, you it, go. It's the same okay. thing, by the way, while we're doing clarification. It's not Nate Soldier, okay? I don't know whether <laughs> he know, served, and no disrespect. It's, it's Soldier, but every time people call him Nate Soldier, it's Soldier. I'm just happy that we got that out of the way, too. Go ahead, I, I feel like that's been sticking in your crawl a little bit, Oh, Lance. my goodness gracious. <laughs> Every time. Nate Soldier. He's not a soldier. He's Soldier. Okay. It's like it's like me, me, Dow, right? Me, Dow. That's yeah, it. oh, that was that's tremendous, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, I'm chuckling inside. I'm sorry that I'm not letting it out. Oh, I, don't, I don't even Hysterical. get that joke. Yeah. Oh, Meadow? Me. Oh, that's... Yeah, that's yeah. what he was trying okay, to yeah, that's attempt. bad. Okay, that's a bad joke. I mean, just phenomenal. <laughs> Fantastic. But what, Don't give up your day I'm, job. Go ahead. M-E-D-O-W, remember. Yes. Right, I know. The spelling's no more important. In, there's no me in his last name, right? <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I, just, I just think what I'm trying to say is you don't need a guy to get 20 sacks, but you need two guys to get 15. 10 plus. Yes. No, 10 plus. Well, I, well, I, I was saying... If you can have your top two rushers, Charlie, finish the year between 15 and 18 sacks, I think that's where you're going to be. All right. I'll take that. I'll take that, too. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. It's so, I mean, right now it's just like, look, Gettleman has drafted all these secondary guys. You know, he went heavy in the secondary last year or the year before, whenever it was. And, you know, all his draft picks, I've got to, you know, got to produce, or, or his draft picks are going to be a disaster. Ballantyne, Beal, you know, uh, Love, uh, Lawrence, uh, you know, Hill, and, you know, everybody. I mean, all these guys. No, Charlie, you're right. He has, he, has, he has tried to build the defense through the draft. Obviously, if those players don't pan out, the defense is going to be bad. No one's going to argue with that. Right. And it's hard to argue also that you shouldn't build the team through the draft when he came in and, Charlie, he had to clean up that one big splash in 2016 when they went the opposite route and you only yielded positive results for one season. So the purpose here is there's multiple ways to skin a cat, but if fans are irritated and saying that every single offseason they should go out on a spending spree, let's face it, that's impractical. And then you could be stuck with 2016 all over again, which is just a short-term solution. Hey, they they went out and spent some money this season, they but did. they just didn't get any top guys. Well, but they there's a difference a between of, yeah, winning yeah. by name and winning based on on-field production. And we can have the conversation we'll about the Cleveland out. Browns every single year, where everybody crowned them at this time last year and did it all of a sudden. 
translate over to the field? No, it didn't. So names alone don't always win football games. And James Bradbury was a top three free agent, a cornerback. I mean... Yeah, okay, one guy. I'll, I'll give you that. Right. All right, Charlie. All right, well, we'll see what happens, guys. Take care. Thanks, bud. You too. All right. Look, Lance, that's, that's going to be the fulcrum this year. It's going to be the pass defense because, really, the last two years, whenever this team needed to make a big stop on a third down or needed to make a big stop at the end of the game, they generally have not been able to make those stops. Throw that together with the offense protecting the football better and not being minus a billion in turnover ratio. Yeah. Then if you could, those are the two things, right? If they can fix those two areas, they're going to be a much better team this year. Yeah, I think these are a few numbers before we wrap up, John, real quickly that I'm focusing on. Turnover differential was minus 17 last year. They were tied for dead last with the Chargers. You can't be worse than minus five. Of course. That's the worst you could be if you want to be close to 500. So that has to turn around. And by the way, that's even pushing it. You probably want to be around a flat zero. Yeah, I would say you want to be even or, you know, negative one, negative two, I think is doable. I believe the year that the Giants went on their postseason run, I don't know if it was 07 or 11, one of those years they were minus two, I want to say, John. So it's you can toy with that. You can walk that fine line, but you can't maneuver beyond that line. Yeah, minus two. and remember, minus two, you can sneak into the playoffs. If you're minus two, you're probably not winning any divisions. No. Meaning you're getting in as a wild yeah, card. Yeah, it's like a 9-7 and, and seven or whatever. Of course. And, I mean, they are adding a wild card team this year. So, you know, you certainly have a little bit more leeway. But, no, you can't think that you can find other ways to cover up your inefficiency in terms of protecting the football. And just to give you an example from last season, the Eagles were minus three. Yep. And they won the division. Okay, just to give you an idea. And then I'm looking through the rest of the teams. By the way, barely. By the skin of their chinny-chin-chin, did they win the division of minus three? Correct, because Dallas struggled late, and then Philadelphia took advantage. So if Dallas would have taken care of business, probably the Cowboys would have ran away with that division, and Philadelphia Mm -hmm. would have not won. But to their credit, they took care of business down the stretch. I'm looking at all the teams in the negative. Nobody else that I can reference made the playoffs. The Rams were zero, and they missed, but they won nine games. Houston was zero, made the playoffs, and everybody else we're talking about in the plus, just to give you an idea. So turnover differential, that's one number. Now, tied into turnover differential, John, Daniel Jones had 18 fumbles. He lost 11 of them. That number has to turn around, and that's tied in to what I'm talking about, a turnover differential. The sack total you want to see go up, not necessarily one player, as we talked about the group total. And then your last piece, the pass defense. The Giants were at the bottom of the league in terms of passing touchdowns allowed and big plays, 20-plus yard passing plays. That has to be cleaned up as well. So notice, we're not talking about one category, John. We're talking about multiple categories. Yeah, and look, the reason the team was picking so high in the draft, I mean, it wasn't by accident. You hope the new coaching staff will help that. You think you hope the infusion of new players will help that. You hope, as we talked about, the improvement of the players they've drafted the last few years will help that as well. Lance, good stuff, my friend. Absolutely. Enjoyed the back and forth. Absolutely. Thank you to the callers. Good job, everybody. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. You can find the archive on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and, of course, all your favorite podcast platforms. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star positive review if you like what you hear. If you don't like what you hear, just just uh, just don't comment at all, and, we, and we'll be happy <laughs> Yeah, especially with that. you, Charlie. In fact, if you don't like what you just send it to Lance at on Twitter. 
It's yes. at Lance, M-E-D-O-W. He likes to take – he is in charge of our complaint department. <laughs> Should send everything proudly, to Lance. Proudly in charge of that department. He, he loves yes. dealing with, with, with folks on Twitter that are negative. I could tell it's really one of his favorite things to do. So you can send all it the is. complaints to It's a hobby. Lance. I cherish. All right, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. It's uh, Datino and Fiegels on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll talk to you then. Stay safe.